honestly, I'm having a great time. You know, I, I joke that I say every day I'm living the dream, right? You can, you can make more money doing a different job, but you wouldn't be able necessarily to help people in the same way. And so I have a real chance to make the state better. Hello, and welcome to the Cloudcast. My name is Ben Zielinski, and I will be your host this week. This week on the Cloudcast, I am joined by Representative Mary Beth Canty, a Democrat from Arlington Heights who represents the 54th House District and is one of the newest members of the General Assembly. She defeated Republican Michelle Hunter in the 2022 election. Canty comes to Springfield with experience serving on the Regional Transportation Authority Board as well as the Arlington Heights Village Board. Today she will tell us about some of her past experiences in government, what it's like being a new lawmaker, and some of the bills she's been working on this spring. State Representative Mary Beth Canty, a first-term Democrat from Arlington Heights, joins us now in the Cloutcast. Thank you so much for doing this, Representative. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you are new to the General Assembly. Tell us about yourself and introduce yourself to General Assembly observers. Yeah, so I'm brand spanking new. Um, this is my first term representing the 54th district, which is the northwest suburbs of Cook County. So mostly Palatine, Arlington Heights and Prospect Heights. But then we have a touch of Buffalo Grove, Wheeling and Mount Prospect thrown in for good measure. Um, I am I live in Arlington Heights. I'm a mom. I've got two kids uh, that are in the public schools here. I've been married and with my husband for a really long time. Um, we've been together since the early 2000s. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I'm a lawyer. I, uh, for the next couple weeks, will be uh, still a village trustee here in Arlington Heights. I was elected there in 2019. Um, and up until January of this year, I had been on the RTA board of directors. So a lot of things packed in there. Yeah, you are a very busy person, as it seems so many people <laughs> in Springfield are, but especially you with all that going on. Um, <laughs> But as you said, you're not entirely new to politics. You have the RTA board experience. Uh, you have the four years on the Arlington Heights Village Board, which, as I think a lot of people know, is becoming a very big job with the Bears having interest in moving there. Um, <laughs> yes. How has that experience over the last four years just helped you make this transition in the state government? You know, I, I talked about this a little bit when I was campaigning, and I, I really did feel like being in our municipal government helped me in a lot of ways. Because so when you run for at least the Arlington Heights Village Board, and I think it's true of most of our municipal governments, you run nonpartisan. Right. So you can't really talk about your your party affiliation. You can't rely on that. You really do have to talk about your ideas and the things that you care about and the things that your community cares about. And so you can find common ground with people from all different sides of the political spectrum. And I, I think that's a really valuable piece when you get down to Springfield, being able to recognize that everybody's positions have value and have merit. And how can you talk about the issues and not just fall into your your own core? Of, of party affiliation. Yeah, what's been, I guess, the biggest difference between moving from that nonpartisan role into this role where every it seems like everything is about party and you're caucusing with a certain group of lawmakers who think like you, um, how has that transition been? Yeah, so I would say 
in the Democratic Party, and I, I don't caucus with the Republicans, so I can't speak for them, and I'm sure they have their own opinions, but I feel like we have a really wide range of opinions um, in the great 78, as as we as we jokingly call ourselves. Um, and so not everybody comes with the same perspective or the same um, ideas or solutions, right? And so one of the biggest things for me has been trying to understand people's viewpoints from different areas of the state, right? So a representative from the Rockford area or from Peoria or from somewhere um, a little bit more rural has a very different perspective on what we need as a state than I do sitting up here in the Northwest suburbs of Cook County, right? And so I, I think that's been the the biggest but most interesting challenge is seeing all those different perspectives um, come together and finding what's what's the through line, as you would say, right, in a in a story or in a in a TV show. What's the through line that really carries you all together and and brings you all together? Um, and so that's been really exciting. The other thing has been how fast everything moves, right? Nobody hands you a manual and says this is what you need to be a good state representative. And here are the things that you need to know. You have to learn them as you go. So it really is building the plane while you're flying it um, and trying to become an expert in a bunch of different areas. Yeah. And with, I would, I'd almost, I almost have to ask you about it just because you're from Arlington Heights, but a big local issue for you is the bears and it is their desire to come here. This issue might come to Springfield at some point in time as the Bears have said they want the public money and it seems like a lot of people in Springfield are kind of opposed to that. What's just your perspective that you bring on this issue and, you know, as these conversations go on over the next few years, you know, how are you going to be able to help inform your colleagues, you know, on the, the, the discussions you've already been a part of with the team? Yeah, so I I do bring sort of a unique perspective just because it's not just in my town, but it's in my district, right? This this potential development. And I think we're still at the phase where we have more questions than answers. So there there is a lot of discussion about the money and should this be publicly funded or should there be a public private partnership and who should do that? And and I think those are really important conversations, but one of the most important conversations to me is do you want this development in the Northwest suburbs at all, right? And so that to me has to come first. How are you impacting the people that currently live here and might live here in the future? And not just in Arlington Heights, right? But it shares a border with Rolling Meadows, with Palatine, um, and all of the Northwest suburbs will be impacted by this potential development, regardless of who goes in. So for me, it's really about how are we impacting the daily life of these communities? And then secondarily is what do we do about the funding piece, if anything, right? So I don't I don't like to jump into paying for a thing before I know I want the thing. And so I think those are the conversations that, that need to happen. How are we moving the people around? Do we need to widen roads? What is the, what is the density of this development that we're talking about? And, and what's the true nature of it? And I think people have concerns about that. They're, they're afraid. And I think, you know, rightfully so in a lot of ways, it would be a massive change to the area. Um, Arlington Park is a is a big development, but it doesn't have a ton of dense residential. It's not open all year round. It doesn't have much in the way of commercial. And this proposed development would have 
all of those things. And so we can't take that lightly from, from the people that are concerned about it. In the more immediate term, as far as Springfield items of business go, uh, in the short term, you've really stood out with some very important bills that have been in your hands. Um, you know, first off, you have a bill that we require all schools to provide all day kindergarten. Tell us just about that bill and how it landed in your hands. So that's an issue that is really personal to me. Um, my kids went through a half-day kindergarten program here in Arlington Heights. Their teachers are amazing. I, I love their school district. But one of the things that I noticed was how hard that kindergarten year was for us as a family. Um, and then also on the kids in particular and on, and on their teachers. And in talking with other parents in the community, we realized, you know, what a what a detriment it was to have so much curriculum that the teachers were being asked to compact into about two and a half hours a day, right? It just didn't leave room to breathe into the space. And it's really tough to ask them to take in all of this new material and be students and, and sitting there without giving them the space to breathe, right? Without giving them a chance to rest and to play and to do these things. And so it just made sense that a full day of, of school would give them and their teachers a chance to take that two and a half hour curriculum and stretch it out so that the kids would be ready for it, right? And they can do some of the more challenging things perhaps in the morning when the kids are fresh and ready and some of the things that take a little bit less in the afternoon, right? Right now we're asking some kids to go in the morning and some kids to go in the afternoon when they're tired and they're ready for, for a rest, we're asking them to do the hardest part of, of their day. Um, so I know it's been tried in years past and the speaker actually ran a bill in, in 2018. So we started with his bill um, that would have said, you know, kindergarten, the following school year, everybody does it, no exceptions. And what I uh, did instead was sort of taking that approach that we talked about earlier, right? Hearing the different perspectives. I reached out to a group that I knew was supportive of full day kindergarten efforts. And then we started branching out who else needs to be at this table. And we built up a stakeholder group of organizations of about 20 or so. It might have been a little bit more, um, but representatives from um, you know, the, the teachers unions, from parents, from organizations, from the school, uh, school administrators, the school boards, the principals, everybody coming together saying, how could we actually do this and what could it look like? And so that's where you see the amendment come through, which passed with a pretty good um, bipartisan support. We had 87 yes votes on, on that bill. And I think it's a testament to the work that went into it, building up a ramp, um, knowing that we're serious about looking for funding and ways to, to help our communities get through this, and then also building in a waiver period. So we're really talking about a four to six year ramp to full day kindergarten being available across the state. We know it's going to help kids. Everybody agrees on that point. The, the tougher point is making sure that we've got the funding available, and I intend to fight for that too. Right. You introduced this bill at first, having this initial framework to have a pretty immediate implementation of mm -hmm. it. And after some negotiations, you came back on the floor and had this a bill that had a task force to make mm -hmm. these implementations happen over a certain number of years and would consider all sorts of things as far as you know, do the schools have space to do this, teacher availability. Tell us a little bit about just what you learned about the legislative process, being a new lawmaker and making those negotiations and changing the bill to make it a better bill and get 
bipartisan support on it. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, you probably noticed this, I don't run a lot of bills, but I take great care with the ones that I do run. Um, and so that was, that was a really good experience for me. I knew what I filed was not the bill that I eventually wanted to pass. I, I knew that at the time I filed it, but going back to, you know, everything happened so quickly, the deadline for filing bills came up within just a couple of weeks of us being sworn in. And so I knew I had to have something to hold the place um, to make sure that I could pass a bill later. And so, you know, it, it was eye-opening making sure that you had everybody at the table, um, a very steep learning curve to figure out who are the people that need to be there um, and making sure that you are taking substantive input from them, right? I think sometimes you can give a nod to a nod to compromise and not really um, actually deliver on it. And I really wanted to make it known that I am willing to consider valid points. I'm willing to make substantive changes. What I'm not willing to do is kill my bills, right? So we all have to come in a good faith effort to, to get the end result if we all agree that it's the right end result. Yeah, it almost sounds like you're trying to establish, I guess, you know, a reputation of being somebody who can work with both sides of the aisle, can work with stakeholders in this. So, you know, in your first three months, you're not, you know, I guess putting a negative view of yourself out there with other people you're going to have to work with for potentially a long time if you have this job. Yeah, you know, I I think sometimes it gets taken for granted, right? Democrats have a supermajority in in the House and in the Senate, and so in theory, you could pass whatever you want. And I I don't believe that that makes for good legislation. And so we hear that um, time and again from people who have served for for a long while, right? Make sure that you're getting uh, that buy-in. Make sure that you're talking to people that are opponents of your bill, right? Understand where where they're coming from and you might end up with a better bill. And I, I really believe that to be true. Another bill I think needs more attention that you passed uh, is a bill that we would, would require job postings to post salary ranges. Tell yeah. us about that piece of legislation. Yeah, so that's another one that I'm really excited about. I think it's the way that society is moving in general, right? People want to be informed before they enter the the full hiring process, right? So if you can put it out there, hey, here's what we're what we're really offering for this position. Um, I, I think it makes for for stronger. Uh, hiring stronger applicants and et cetera. It also gives businesses a chance to know if they're targeting the right people. Um, I, I think it was raised to me, you know, well, what if, you know, we're really targeting somebody with 30 years of experience, but everybody that's applying for our job only has, you know, two years of experience. And my my reaction to that was really, I think you need to go back and reevaluate then from a business perspective. What is it about your job posting if you are choosing to make one that's not attracting the candidates that you want? Are you not actually looking for the level of expertise that they have? Are you not paying them appropriately for that many years of experience? What is it that you're looking for? And if you're seeing people that have less experience coming forward, why are they attracted to the position? Maybe that is somebody that you're that you're looking for and you can take a flyer on them. And so giving yourself that range allows you to both show people sort of where is the floor of what you're what you're willing to pay for this. And you need that from a business perspective, right? Everybody has to do their budgets as they go through. You need that, but also showing people where is the opportunity for growth 
in this role, right? If you get hired in at a certain level, will there be opportunities potentially in the future for you to grow and expand in that position? And that's why you include a range, because I think that's a signal to people um, if they choose to apply and then take that job, where they might be able to move with your organization. I think it's New York State that has implemented this so far. I think it started with New York City and then moved into the full state. Has there yeah, been and, anything in Colorado as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then has there been anything you've taken away from those two states that has guided you on this as far as, you know, maybe results that employees and employers have seen in both of those states that is I think maybe has been helpful that made you want to push this here? Yeah. So, you know, we've been, we've been watching it. I think we've seen some really positive feedback, um, but we also noticed some things that we could um, get better in our bill, right? And so ours does make it clear that it's the range that you reasonably expect to pay, right? Because if you just say you have to post the range, what what we were seeing in some other states is you could see a range of $40,000 to $700,000. And that's not a realistic range for for any role, right? Um, and so we wanted to we wanted to modify that a little bit, lay lay some some guardrails sort of at the at the outer edges, and then also make sure that we're not discouraging employers from hiring remote workers here in Illinois. <clears throat> so we tried to we tried to manage through that. And then also making sure that we're not causing harm to our small businesses. So ours has a threshold. It doesn't apply to every single employer. It, imply, it applies to those with 15 or more employees in the state of Illinois. Um, and it also doesn't require that you make a job posting. It just says, if you do make a job posting, we want you to get it right. And I think that'll help everybody be more competitive in the marketplace. Yeah. How do you respond to some of the criticism you may have heard just about, you know, you're almost taking away the businesses' opportunities to keep that information to themselves about what they're making or paying their employees, or even, you know, one employee is going to be able to see what another one of their colleagues is making just based on these job postings. How, how do you respond to those kinds of concerns? Yeah, so I think that's... <clears throat> Those are concerns that that have been that have been raised. You know, my my reaction to that is a it's a range, right? And so there's a good chance that a lot of your your employees already have a sense if they work for you, they already have a sense of what the ranges are that you pay. My other question or my other answer would be to throw back a question, which is why do you need to keep it secret, right? And the real reason for that is labor is one of the biggest expenses that a business has, right, in in most industries. And so you want to always be keeping your expenses low. Well, if you aren't telling people what you're truly willing to pay for a position, they might not know. And so that gives you as an employer an opportunity to pay less than you otherwise might for someone who doesn't know better. And we also know that that works to the detriment of women and people of color most often. To wrap up, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about what it's like being a new lawmaker. What are you enjoying so far? What have been your challenges? Tell us about that experience. So honestly, I'm having a great time. You know, I, I joke that I say every day I'm living the dream, right? You can you can make more money doing a different job, but you wouldn't be able necessarily to help people in the same way. And so I have a real chance to make the state better 
for my family, for my kids, for the families that live here. And I want to seize every day, but I'm, I'm having a great time. You know, there's, there's really nothing, um, that is, that is too hard. Right. Um, there are challenges for sure. You're learning a lot of personalities. You're working long hours and you're constantly having to kind of look around and reorient yourself. Right. What are we talking about? Oh, right. We were just talking about kindergarten. Now we're going to go over here and we're going to talk about pensions. Right. So, you know, learning how to how to make those those transitions is tricky. But I love learning new skills. Yeah. Is there anything that happens that maybe you just didn't expect coming into this? Um, the amount of events, um, and get togethers that people have, right. Everybody is trying to get to know the legislators. And so your calendar gets so packed where you can have nights, you're invited to four five, six, seven things all in one evening and trying to make sure that you at least stop by every single one and, and try and introduce yourself to people and, and really hear what it is that they care about. I was not expecting that, even though in fairness, people told me it would happen. Yeah. The, the social side is almost as busy as the legislating side and just trying to craft the bills as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. State representative Mary Beth Canty. Thank you so much for joining us on the Cloudcast, and welcome to the general assembly. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Canty's bill to make all day kindergarten a reality, as well as require job postings, have salary ranges, now awaits consideration by the Illinois Senate, where some changes could be made before lawmakers leave Springfield on May 19th. That is all for today's episode of the Cloutcast. Thank you for joining us to get to know one of Illinois' newest lawmakers. This episode of the Cloutcast was produced and edited by me, Ben Zielinski. Stay tuned for new episodes in the coming weeks. Canty's bill to make all-day kindergarten a reality, as well as require job postings, have salary ranges, now awaits consideration by the Illinois Senate, where some changes could be made before lawmakers leave Springfield on May 19th. That is all for today's episode of the Cloutcast. Thank you for joining us to get to know one of Illinois' newest lawmakers. This episode of the Cloutcast was produced and edited by me, Ben Zielinski. Stay tuned for new episodes in the coming weeks.